Amen, amen. Thank you. Already in church, let's dive in this morning. It is an unplugged weekend today, and if you don't know what an unplugged weekend is, we do this every once in a while in between sermon series where we unplug and we talk about a different topic than what we normally would. And I can't lie, when I'm asked to preach on unplugged weekends, I often get a little stressed out. A lot stressed out, okay? I am the kind of person who really enjoys guidance. I really enjoy a path. If you give me a topic to preach on, no problem. I can cover that, okay? But unplugged, it's whatever the Lord's putting on your heart. It's whatever you're passionate about, what he's teaching you in that season. And my mind is flooded with options, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm thinking, and I'm going back and forth, and it's almost just a little bit overstimulating. Okay? It's kind of hard for me sometimes. And I was going back and forth, ta- debating on what I was going to preach about this morning. And a couple weeks ago, in very true Gen Z fashion, yes, I am Gen Z. Let that soak in for a moment, okay? I am Gen Z. In very true Gen Z fashion, I found what I wanted to preach on today via a meme. Yes, my sermon was inspired by a meme. Very breathtaking, I know. I was scrolling away one day on my phone, probably wasting too much time, and I came across this meme, and I was like, this could not be more applicable to the season that we are in as a church and the season that I'm in personally, and I assume a lot of you as well. And the meme says this. It says, I love how being an adult is just saying, but after this season, life will slow down over and over again until you die. (laughs) Who can relate to that this morning? Come on. We have so much going on. It's been a busy season here at Radiant Church. We just came out of the REACH initiative, holidays, graduations, babies being born, three on the way, by the way. And we've got so much going on. And we just finished our REACH series last week, even though the initiative is how long? Nailed it. I love it when you guys do that. Two years. And we've got so much going on. And then we think, oh, good. It's summer. Things are going to slow down wrong, okay? We've got graduations, we've got vacation prep, we've got barbecues, we've got hangouts, we've got small group things, we've got church events, and then guess what? It'll be time to go back to school again. (laughs) Woo, you guys are stoked. Life is busy and it goes on and on and on. And we've talked about different things from the stage, the things that we can do, right? We can ruthlessly attempt to eliminate the hurry and the extra busyness in our lives. And we do do that. We try to stick to that passage in Thessalonians, living a quiet life that Paul talks about, right? And we go through seasons where we are really intent with the Sabbath from sundown to sundown. I'm not doing anything. No one's texting me. I'm not doing anything. I delete my email app from my phone, okay? And we can do the Sabbath really well, and we can ruthlessly eliminate hurry and extra busyness in our life. But there's another thing that we still need to do, and that's how we just need to reframe our outlook on these seasons. Because we can do all of those things, but the hard truth is that life just doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. We will move from season to season just as God intended, and we must reframe the outlook of how we're viewing it. Because so often I find the stress from season to season doesn't always come from the stress of that season itself, right? Now, sometimes that can be true. It's very overwhelming. There's lots going on. My to-do list is endless. That can happen. But so often the stress is really from how we are viewing it. And so often how we view things is who we become. We've talked about this from the stage before as we talk about our worldview and what that looks like. And how we view things is often how or who we become. 
And so this morning, we're going to dive into a well-known passage. If you haven't figured it out yet, it's going to be Psalm 23. We're going to kick it back to basics a little bit. And I'm excited to do this with you this morning. And and I know that this is a well-known passage and probably one that you guys all know well. But I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says, I cannot say anything that is new upon this text. I have not even the desire to do so. But if I can remind you of old and precious truths and also put you in remembrance of sweet experiences which are past, this will not be an unprofitable topic of meditation. So my prayer today is as we move through this, that we will just be reminded of these truths. As we dive into this passage, we'll be reminded of how to reframe our outlook on life and how to do that together. Because here's the thing about Psalm 23. A lot of times you hear Psalm 23 preached at funerals, right? Or wakes or different things like that. And so many people do this because of that verse that says, even though I walk through the darkest valley. But here's the thing about Psalm 23. It's not a song for the dead. It's an anthem for the living. Okay? It's an anthem for the living. Psalm 23 is more than just poetry. If you read through the Psalms, you know that it's a book written by David, a servant of God, and it's a, a book full of worship and full of poetry, but it's more than just poetry. It's theology. It's prayer. Psalm 23 is a vision of who God is, who you are, and the universe that we find ourselves in. It's not something necessarily sweet just to be read at a funeral or something sweet to read in the morning or sewn on a little pillow at your granny's, okay? This is a passage. It is to be read. It is a petition. And as we petition like this, we begin to change our outlook. It becomes a part of who we are. So we're going to walk through Psalm 23 today, verse by verse, just how God wrote it, because God's word is delicious, and we're just going to eat it up just as he gave it to us. And each verse will put these truths together. Okay? Sound good? Thanks, Gil. Thanks, Gil. Awesome. All right. Psalm 23, verse 1. Let's dive in together this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Sometimes when we're reading through scripture, it, not sometimes, all the time, it's very important to study it very intently. We need to dig in. We need to find out what words mean. We need to dive into the context of it. Why did God write this? And what passage are we talking about? That kind of thing. But the one thing that I love about this verse, one of many things, is its bold, simple truth. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The beautiful thing about Psalm 23 is that it's full of declarations and results. Declaration, the Lord is my shepherd. Immediate result, I lack nothing. So often as humans, we are um, putting out excuses all the time of why we can't do things. I'm too tired, I'm ill-equipped, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm too young, I'm too old, whatever. Excuses are as stinky as armpits and everyone's got them, okay? We come up with excuses all the time. This blows it out of the water. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. 
This verse communicates a wonderful, simple truth that I think is so often overlooked. As we, as we jump from season to season, we're preaching and we're praying things like, I can get through this season because the Lord God bestows upon me his grace and his kindness and his goodness and he blesses me and he comforts me and he heals me. And that's truth, amen? He does do those things. He does so many good things. But so often, we like to take our infinite, unfathomable God, and we put him in this box of things that he can produce for us. Our infinite, unfathomable God is more than what he produces. We get caught up in the what God can do for me, and we forget the promise that the promise of God is God. The promise of God is God. That's the first fill out on your worship guide if you want to check that out this morning. The promise of God is God. We talked a little bit about this on Good Friday, right? This is God. This is us. There's this gap that we cannot get through. And praise Jesus for his wonderful sacrifice. He stood in that gap for us. Amen. And he filled that for us so we can be with God. We can be in communion with a holy God. That is the promise. Another quote by Spurgeon from this passage of Psalm 23, the sweetest word of the whole verse is that monosyllable, my. My. The Lord is my shepherd. I am his and he is mine. I lack nothing. Because as we move from season to season with the mindset of his promises are what he can do for me, his promises are what he does for me, what he can accomplish, what he produces, what happens when the bottom drops out? What happens when that prognosis comes back from the doctor and it's not what you expected? What happens when the account overdraws or that relationship isn't healed? Are you satisfied with the shepherd? Is he enough? That's the promise of God, being with him, delighting in him, and he in you. Do you know the Lord delights in you? He delights in you. And truly, this passage could end right there, because the promise of God is God. But because God is infinite and unfathomable, he always gives us more than we could ever ask or imagine, we get to move on to verse 2. Psalm 23, actually two through three. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Little fun fact about me, I am pretty good with directions, okay? Uh, pretty good with directions. My parents were pizza delivery drivers before I was born. My dad owned a pizza store, mom had a restaurant, whatever. We went a lot of places together. I know the area of Des Moines really well, and I am what you might call a passionate driver, okay? I know how to get places. I know how to get there, and the timing that I want to get there, Weston had to follow me this last week. It was a train wreck. Weston drives the speed limit, I guess. Um, anyways, so <laughs> I am a little bit of a passionate driver, and and here's the thing, though. I am pretty good with directions, and I'm a little bit of a passionate driver, but I hate driving. 
This is a fun fact about me that I mean, no, I do not like driving. Like if there were subways in Des Moines, I would sell my car immediately. I find it so boring just looking at the road with my hands on the wheel. I promise I do, okay? I'm not doing other stuff. But I just find it to be a waste of time. And so here's the thing with that. I don't like driving, but I am pretty good at directions. But I don't like driving. So Reed drives a lot. Reed's a little bit different of a driver than I am, okay? We have a couple different preferences, okay? So Reed likes to sometimes take back roads instead of the freeway. He likes to take side streets. He likes to go his own little way. Again, Reed likes to drive the speed limit. If you know this, when we first started dating, this is really sweet. He's going to kick my butt for this. Um, He was so nervous to be in the car with me, he drove like five under because he was worried about getting in an accident. I'm serious. Um, He is a very cautious driver. So you have Reed in the driver's seat driving Miss Daisy, and you have me in the passenger seat white-knuckling it because obviously, clearly, my ways are better and faster in the right way. Amen? Thank you. Thank you. You get heaven points for that or something. I don't know. Um, But And so I'm white-knuckling in the passenger seat telling myself, don't tell him what to do. He's driving, it's a blessing, He's, you're not driving, you know. And I think that this is a really natural feeling that we've all felt before, right? My way is better, my way is good, my way is pure, my way or the highway, or in my case, always the highway because it's faster. Um, but the truth that I pull from these verses is another simple reminder that I think we've heard before, but if you're like me, sometimes you need a couple reminders. To reframe our outlook on life from season to season, we must constantly be moving from leading to being led. We need to be led. We need to be led by the Savior, okay? Some of us have rub with these verses right off the bat. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He refreshes. He guides. Not Maddie guides. Maddie leads. Maddie knows best or whatever your name is, fill in the blank. Because we recognize from verse 1 that the Lord is my shepherd, that is our promise, so of course he's going to lead. But actually putting that into practice, letting the Lord have control over our life, that's personal. (laughs) And that cuts deep. And if you're like me, that line, he makes me, it gives me the cringy sometimes, he makes me because of my heart, okay? He makes me lie down. It can come off harsh. It's like when someone comes to my house, and if you've met my dog, she's the most precious being in the world. I love y'all's kids, but she's so cute. And you come to my house, and my dog loves people. Um, She loves to jump on people. I don't typically correct her. I'm sorry. She loves to hug people. She loves to kiss people. She's 65 pounds, and she'll sit right on your lap on the couch, okay? And typically when people come over, and she's jumping, and she's hugging, I tell her, lay down. It's a commandment. Lay down. And sometimes that's how this verse can come off. And it's like this internal gut reaction that's kind of like, oh, I don't really love that. Or sometimes it can even feel like a punishment. It can feel like you did something wrong and you're being benched for the rest of the game. But what I love about this section is that it's not necessarily leading us into submissive punishment, but it's leading us into a story of peace. The Greek translation of this passage uses the word kataskinau. I practice that a lot. Kataskinau. It's a Greek translation, the OG translation, and it actually means settles. He makes me is actually translated as settles. 
Or if you look at the Arabic translation, it's ahalani, which means he settles me down. That's literally the words that it means. He settles me down. It's this like really sweet passage where God is just looking at David and he's like, baby, I'm just going to put you in a timeout for a second because you just need to collect your emotions and settle down, okay? (laughs) You just need to settle down for a second. And some of us just need to stop and allow the Lord to settle us down and lead us. So many times in my life I have had needed to the Lord to just come down graciously because he does. He meets me where I'm at just to graciously come down and go, girl, chill out. And I know we've all been there before. And he does. He settles me down. I'm a person who tends to, at times, struggle with anxiety. And three, four years ago was kind of when it reared its really ugly head. And it was at its worst for me. And to the point where, you know, sometimes once or twice a month, I was having full-blown panic and anxiety attacks that I couldn't control. And praise God, since then, I've been able to be delivered from those. And and he is good to me via therapy and reaching out to people and accountability. But when I was having those panic attacks, I guess I'm just talking about Reed a lot today. My sweet husband, Reed, did he ever greet me with harsh commands or with punishment or with anger or with rage? No. In these moments, if I was having an anxiety or panic attack, he would just bring me into his arms and he would settle me down. He would settle me down. He greeted me faithfully every time. And he met me where I was at. And he settled me down. And that's what our Heavenly Father does. He is not a father who is far off. He is not a father who is just ready to punish you at any time with a strict hand. He is a father who is attentive to his children. Some of you have come into this space this morning Maybe you had issues with your father. Maybe you didn't receive that when you were growing up. Maybe you're a woman in this space and you haven't received that kind of love from your father or from your husband. And I am so sorry that you have to walk in here with that weight this morning. But I do want you to know that you don't serve a God like that. You serve a God who is attentive to you and who loves you and who faithfully greets you right where you're at. We must allow our emotions to be a cry of connection to our Father, not a precursor for punishment. So he settles us down, and he leads us through paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He doesn't walk it for us, okay? He's not going to come in, and the shepherd doesn't come in and pick up the sheep's feet and move them along the path for them, okay? He comes for us. He sings us that song, one foot in front of the other. No one's singing the next line. You'll be walking out the door. It's not Christmas. It's Christmas in May. Figure it out. Anyways, um, so he comes and he leads us down these paths, right, for his namesake. There is personally, personal responsibility in this as well. He guides us and we have to move. And, of course, it's for his namesake because he's leading us. We will give him the glory for it. Because how many of you know you can do good things and give to good organizations and do all these things and it not be for the glory of God? for his namesake. Psalm 23, four through five, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. 
For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I love this. I pray this all the time. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now at this point, this is the first time that David, it gets a little bit dark. We go from like these luscious waters and these green pastures. And then he's like the valley of death, okay. Um, if you read the King James Version, he gets a little dark, a little little quick, but isn't that how life goes sometimes, when you can least expect it? But what you must notice in this passage here is he doesn't say, I camp out in the darkest valley. He doesn't say that I build a shelter and I hide out in the darkest valley. He doesn't say I get stuck in the darkest valley. What does he say? I I walk, and I fear no evil, I walk through that valley. He doesn't get stuck He can't see, it's the darkest valley. He may not know what's coming next, but David knows his shepherd's voice. He knows the voice of God and he listens and he walks and he knows that his uh, good shepherd is faithfully guiding him through this valley. The Lord is my shepherd. I will fear no evil. And this is not just some sort of fantasy or therapeutic temporary relief pill. It is a promise. It is the very presence of God. It is the power that the very presence of God brings peace to the people of God. The truth here is that my shepherd is with me. It's a guarantee. It's not a suggestion. He didn't say, I'll be with you if you're filling out this checklist. He didn't say, I'll be with you if you make sure to do this, this, and this. He said, I'm with you. It's a guarantee. His presence is a guarantee. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. I love this. So we know that like the rod and the staff at times will like guide the shepherd on rocky terrain so he doesn't fall. The rod and the staff is also used to guide sheep back on the right path. Do you know what else the rod and the staff is for? It's for keeping the enemies away. Okay. They're going to use that staff. Okay. And here's the thing. Um, a lot of you know I grew up on the east side. Where are my east siders at? That's what I'm talking about. I can always count on you guys. Uh, I'm a proud East Sider, grew up on the East Side, born and raised. And if you know East Siders, you know East Siders are generally harmless, okay? But here's the thing you, <laughs> you don't want to go into an East Sider's house unannounced, okay? You don't want to just pop up in their business unannounced. Because the shepherd of an East Sider's household has two best friends a beer and a baseball bat, okay? Did she just say beer in church? Oh my gosh. Okay, so those are his two best friends, a beer and a baseball bat. And oftentimes that baseball bat is sitting by his bedside, maybe by his lazy boy recliner. If you're my best friend Kendra, it resides in her car, okay? Um, a beer and a baseball bat. And here's the thing. If you go into an east side, or east side shepherd's household unannounced and they're not expecting it, you're going to find out that that east sider is a better hitter than Ty Cobb, Derek Jeter, Babe Ruth, whoever, okay? I had to look those names up. I don't watch sports. Uh, (laughs) So here's the thing. We fear no evil because the shepherd of our household is up to bat. The shepherd of our household is up to bat. It says he prepares a table for you in front of your enemies. So God is setting this table for you, okay? Your enemies are out there and they're scheming and they're plotting and they're looking at how to attack you and take you down. And God is like literally just sit here and have a meal. 
Feast on my grace, feast on my kindness, feast on my goodness. And meanwhile, you've got God out there hitting home runs for you. Anxiety, bat. Fear, bat. Spiritual warfare, bat, bat, bat. No place here. Because he prepares a table for you in front of your enemies. And the shepherd of your household is up to bat. You're dining. You're walking through green pastures and still waters. And he's up to bat for you. That's who he is. Psalm 23, 6. Surely, surely, again, not a suggestion. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm, forever. Coming out of reach and heading into such an exciting season of adding strategic partners and, and doing construction and remodel and getting ready for the daycare. The list goes on. In your personal lives, you have graduations and babies being born and holiday parties coming. The list goes on. We move and we groove from day to day. And yet some of us are still wondering in the midst of the goodness, when's the hard stuff gonna come? Do I have any friends here who, like me, sometimes you kind of just wait for the bad thing to happen? I'm kind of that person sometimes. I'm like, all right, all of this is really good. <laughs> a little too good. <laughs> you know what I mean? And what about when it gets hard? And, and I have a spoiler alert for you, and I hope that you're just really encouraged by this this morning. It's going to get hard. <laughs> it's going to get really hard. And the trials are going to come. In John 16, 33, Jesus promises it. He said, it's not a suggestion. He says, in this world, you what? Will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. I have people sometimes texting me or messaging me, Maddie, did you see the most recent political drama? Did you see the Target news? Did you see the Starbucks red cup? Did you see this? Did you see that? Maddie, the world is going to garbage. I'm like, read your Bible. That was already going to happen. In this world, you will have trouble. But that verse doesn't end there because God gives us more than we could ever ask or imagine. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In the midst of the hard and the difficult and the confusing, his goodness and love, or some of you were raised on the New King James Version, his goodness and mercy, follows you wherever you go. And this isn't some sort of prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that life is going to be hard and then all of a sudden you're gonna get a million dollars and a new car and you're gonna have health and wealth, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Because God's promises are not that. His promises are goodness and mercy and love. His promise is Him. His promise is Him. And so in this season that we're walking into, God's calling us to a lot. He's calling us to walk as we mentioned. How can we be a radiant church if we're just sheltered down in a the valley of darkness and we're building little encampments and fences and we're not letting people in and we're, we're not walking and we're just staying there? It's time to walk and it's time to trust God. It's time to walk and it's time to trust God. We must walk and, and really we must run the path that he has set before us because we will have trouble and it will be hard, but people will come to know Jesus. 
you will grow closer to Jesus. You'll be more like him. You'll get to delight in him. You'll get to be in community with other people who love him. And the results don't get better than that. I know it. You know it. Because we've tried other things. It didn't work. But he satisfies. He's good. And we're going to do it for his name's sake. We're going to do it for his name's sake. We're going to dwell in the Lord. We're going to give him glory. What does it look like to give God glory? In John 15, 8, it says this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's the thing, knowing the Lord is your shepherd, having that heavenly confidence, not a confidence that comes from you, not a confidence that comes from your bank account, not a confidence that comes from your big house or your white picket fence. The confidence of knowing the Lord is your shepherd should activate you and awaken you. It should spur you on to complete the purpose that he has placed upon your life. Without that, Psalm 23 is nothing but a sweet, self-indulgent poem that's sewed on a pillow at your grannies. It's something to activate you, to awaken you. We have work to do and people need to know Jesus. Life is gonna keep going on. My friends, it's gonna keep being busy. We're gonna do it together. Let us be confident the Lord is our shepherd. He's guiding us in his will and in his timing for his name's sake. We have nothing to fear, only conquering to do. Amen? We'll move from season to season in that conference.